Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brook, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Nicole Hatherley, I am beside myself to be able to interview you for She's the Boss Chats because you are amazing and I only know a little bit about what you've done. So I can't wait to do this whole interview. Oh, thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. We've had so many chats that uh, we get down that rabbit hole and go, geez, I wish we were recording this. And now we are. That's right. Jules, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm thrilled. Well, so excited. Ditto. So let's start off by telling everybody what it is that you do now and why you do it. So over to you. <laughs> oh, oh, just go straight yeah, yeah, in there, straight Jules. in. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, who am I? I'm actually a storyteller at heart. And um, I guess I've always been a storyteller. So that's the golden thread through my life and career. And I'm in the business of um, humans, like identity and value and reputation and how humans think and feel. And I guess how we can persuade humans and, and I guess also give them opportunities to explore themselves each other the world and um that is through this wow brand storytelling (laughs) wow so (laughs) so I'm I was going to say what's the name of your business was where I was heading with that but I love all of this other stuff it's great (laughs) (laughs) so the business is called brand true north it says what it does on the can right and um so I'm I'm obsessed with brand strategy I've been in brand strategy for about 30 years wow I started really young when it was legal for kids to do brand strategy (laughs) (laughs) do you know what's really weird is I worked in London in the late 90s and learned and did brand strategy over there and heard it and came back to Australia at the beginning of 2000 and nobody really knew it it was so new and it was so big in the UK it's huge and and this is so interesting because I cut my teeth in agency and we've had this chat and so I was in agency mid 90s uh the glory days of agency I was at Leo Burnett for about eight years okay and I was in a team this brand new spanking team that we were building and it was called get this direct marketing ah okay so it was really it was really big in the UK um from about the early 90s but it took uh, a few years it took about five years to come to our shores all we knew about direct marketing was the demtel and throwing steak knives in yeah we really hadn't looked at personalized marketing um, as a tool with leverage that we could actually use a science uh, behind marketing yeah. and leo burnett was one of the agencies that spearheaded it and actually our first client was um a, a new zealand client but we built this um, a whole team from four people to 22 people in a year. Wow. And, so really and direct technical. marketing just took off. Yeah. And then I went in from direct marketing into direct and digital way back then. In the ni- in when the, people in didn't the even know what digital was. We didn't have any idea. And, <laughs> we, and so it was kind of um, at the forefront of, does anyone know what we're doing? No, that's okay. That's where we're going. But then, uh, then I really found my feet in brand. And so I've got this strategic side, which is the digital and direct marketing. So the science behind 
um, the numbers. And then brand really took my fancy and I went dark side, client side oh. um, from agency. And that's really where I dived into these these beautiful brands like Foxtel. Um, I was looking after the brand and acquisition machine of Foxtel wow. for a number of years. And then uh, jumped over into financial services. Who would have known? Uh, with me. ComBank for a decade. Wow. Oh, mm. my goodness, Nick. I can't wait. We are going to literally, I'm going to make you step us through your career in a minute. So uh, be Absolutely. prepared. But that's so funny because I worked, uh, when I moved to, back to Sydney, I did a brand strategy course at UTS with Jamie Mackay from Bon Giovanni Williams Mackay. Just before, yes, yes. do you remember, I don't know whether you were here, but Rob Bongiovanni started doing a seg yes. segment on like Sunrise or something where he'd talk about brands yeah, and, each and, week. And with their band. Yes. Do you remember their band? <laughs> I used to go to their gigs. Wow. But yes, I do remember. Wow, that is so funny. Okay. <laughs> so what was the light bulb moment though that made you, or what was it that made you decide to go out on your own and start Brand True North? Oh, yes. Um, Did something happen? Yeah. It nearly always does. <laughs> Definitely did. And what it was was I'd been in corporate for a long time and, as I was saying, I was uh, in executive management at Commonwealth Bank, uh, which I loved. And the I was there for 10 years. And the first half of that um, I launched and uh, and then managed the brand of Comsec. I launched it online. Oh, right. So it was an online entity, self-directed investing uh, but it didn't have an online presence. So that was a fantastic role to have and looked after this, I guess, machine, performance, SEM machine of Comsec. We had market share. It was a pretty easy job. Nice. Had good budget. Um, and then I saw something happening over the other side of ComBank that really, really took my um, like fancy for so many reasons. And that was this area in business banking that was emerging right. um, thanks to uh, the juggernauts of, um, uh, of two incredible women. And it was called Women in Focus. And it was ah. an external-facing community yep. that Commonwealth Bank uh, was creating. And it wasn't just for clients. It was for all women in business. And it was to make sure that those women in business or business-led uh, sorry, women-led businesses were thriving. Right. And so I got myself, uh, that's another story, but I got myself over into that team. And um, that team at the time, there was four of us, led by Karen James and Katie Mile and, uh, and Melinda Carpenter. Right. And anyone in the women's networks know of, of those incredible women. And I joined and I I guess I transferred my skills from digital marketing to digital um, production and, and this digital publication. And we then right. were, were telling the stories of these incredible women so that more women could see what they were doing. Hang on a minute. So, and, so, um, and were ignited. So, Nick, is Women in Focus, because I thought it was a bit of a membership group and kind of did events. Are you saying no. it was a media? Was it, was it a magazine yes. that they started? Yes. Oh, so right. yes. So where it started was I looked after the whole digital connection of what was to be 80,000 women in business. Wow. And we created a magazine. We also created an online magazine and we had a social, we had the first social community on a social platform ever in financial services in Australia. Amazing. And we went out um, and used Jive and then we went on to Lithium and anyone who knows these big platforms, <laughs> no. they're internal 
platforms and I we repurposed them to be external community platforms and we published all the stories. I was speaking to women day in, day out about what made their woman-led business or women-led business thrive. And we were right. just making sure that we could get that information, inspiration and connection out to as many women as possible. And that's what happened. Coming back to your yeah. question, I got to speak to so many women and um, go into their businesses. And from my bad brand background, I could have a look at the brand-led business drivers that they could be um, putting into their business and actually consulting with them on what they could do more different with the Commonwealth backing all of our intelligence. And I saw this idea that I could be going globally with this idea of how to um, look at brand-led business levers um, for businesses to thrive. And so five years we uh, matured women in focus. It was my time to fly the coop. Ah, okay. And so I... That's where I went out uh, to business. Now, one of our incredible Women in Focus members had a brilliant brand called Luke Beauty Food. It was lipstick made. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I've heard edible lipstick it used to be called, I think was the way. Edible lipstick, if if you're into that. Yeah, but edible (laughs) lipstick. And uh, Cindy Lucan, um, amazing, um, intelligent, um, entrepreneurial woman. And she needed a head of marketing to spearhead – the growth of Luke Beauty Food and actually to get into the market in the US in a very short amount of time. And um, so I was headhunted by our mutual friend, Jess McDonald. We love from High Tees. Agents of Innovation. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And um, she believed in me, saw that I could transfer my skills, went back into the brand area and um, we did everything we needed to do in Luke Beauty Food. Then I went out on my own and formed Brand True North, knowing that I had all 360, um, kind of a 360 experience for doing this for my own clients. Wow. And that was it. It's a really well, great that story. That is a great story. Honing skills. And I had no idea mm. that you worked with Women in Focus because obviously that's very close to my heart. So that's amazing. Absolutely. That is absolutely amazing. Okay. Yes. Now, don't go no further because I'm going to make you go right the way back now. Um <laughs> Every time I say that to women, they go, oh, my God, I can't remember that far back. But where did you grow up? Did you have brothers and sisters? What did your mum and dad do? Oh, I love this. <laughs> I grew up in Canberra. Oh, did you? The nation's capital. Okay. Yep. I'm a Canberra girl, born and bred. Right. And I am the youngest of four children. Mum had uh, four of us in six years, and I've got three older brothers. And I can tell you, I am the quietest wallflower child of all four of us. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is so so weird because I am the eldest girl with three brothers. (laughs) Oh, no way. We're topsy-turvy. I know. That's so weird. Yep. You have it the best way around, I'm the baby, the little sister. Yep. Yeah. No, that's the way to be. And... And um, I, so I had a blissful uh, upbringing. Uh, I was very protected um, by my, my brothers. No one was going so, to come anywhere near so me. So what did mum and dad do? I mean, I'm, I'm asking because yeah, I'm so, interested in role models, I guess, and seeing yeah, what they it's did. It's so good. Yeah, so dad's a pharmacist. Okay. Um, but he's also a photographer. So he's right. now one of Australia's most awarded photographers. Oh, wow. Um, a, and, and he's got, an, and you'll see some of his photographs behind me. You won't be able to see on the podcast, no. but they're really good. <laughs> and so I, so I grew up with storytelling through the lens right. of these cameras. The, the stories that my dad would tell um, in the photography, he had his own dark room. And, of course, he was a pharmacist 
and the chemistry translated to the darkroom. Right. So he just was able to to um, create these incredible um, conversations with pictures in his darkroom with chemicals because it right. wasn't digital then. Interesting. And so when did he stop yeah. being a pharmacist and decide to be a photographer? Or was it always on the oh, side? Oh, he did it always, yep. And then he um, retired probably about 10 years ago. He's 83 now. <laughs> and all he does is um, he is a global judge of um, photography and all he does is put his photography into Worldwide Awards and wins them. So I don't know what my mum's going to do with all the medals <laughs> oh that keep God. coming in. Jeez. <laughs> I, I, I think he's up to like 237. Oh, There's a whole stop two it. Oh, wow. And then what did you... I've got to stay in a hotel when I go oh, visit. Oh, that's funny. So what about mum? <laughs> no, but it's... Was mum a stay-at-home um, mum? Great. So, no, she wasn't. Oh. She worked in the pharmacy seven days a week with my dad. Oh, wow. So she was incredible. And I learned a lot about storytelling with people and, and the art of listening with my mum. Uh, when you're working in a pharmacy and um, and I watched her in this beautiful, empathetic, um, mothering role of everyone who was coming in and just needed to be heard, needed help, um, their health and well-being. And she would listen, she would give advice, and she would just tell them exactly what they needed um, to hear, what they needed to feel. She had this amazing feel for what people needed. And she used to tell them stories, whether they would be okay. She used to listen to their stories and she used to retell stories. So from both of them, my mum, this human storyteller of, of, of people's innermost journeys and my dad from from this photography this eye this composition telling stories without many words so it was a brilliant um combination of storytelling from there yeah and obviously now being perpetuated through the next generation so absolutely okay so uh so you grew up in this idyllic family in Canberra uh what was school like did you enjoy primary school yeah, no, not at all. I think my third grade teacher, <laughs> oh, really? Mrs. Marsh, when uh, when mum came on a minute. into did you say, parent teacher. Wait, did you just say you had Mrs. Marsh as your teacher? I third grade was Mrs. Marsh. Did, she was uh, Scottish. Do you, yeah. do you remember Mrs. Marsh, the the toothpaste teacher? Sorry, <laughs> oh, I'm just showing my ads in. now. Yeah, 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 with the chalk. <laughs> Sorry, for anyone that's With listening, back in the 80s, I think it was, there was a whole series of ads by Colgate yeah. using a woman called Mrs. Marsh. Anyway, I'm digressing. Go Mrs. on. You <laughs> keep going. Yes. Oh, it Just does get in. Yep. So, um, so Carol, my mum, bowled up and uh, Mrs. Marsh had had a couple of my brothers in her classes during, you know, the the, the years before. Yeah. And she comes in and Mrs. Marsh takes one look at my mum and bursts into tears and goes, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Watson. I tried to teach Nicole, but Nicole just does what Nicole wants to do. So I think the next day mum drops in a bottle of wine and a bunch of flowers and all was forgiven. Um, But that pretty much summed up my schooling. I did what I wanted to do. Um, I took the role of um, the performer, I guess, in my younger years. And um, look, I didn't, I wasn't disruptive. Um, I really helped people and, and helped uh, oh, teach girl. them. I was the teacher's aide. Right. <laughs> um, but I definitely was the beat of my own drum. And um, let's just say uh, school, I didn't try hard. I didn't go too badly. Um, but it so was just a, it was. It was that yeah, story. It was a bit like that for me. So what about high school then? What, what, what did you, did you enjoy high school? <laughs> yeah, high school the same. I pretty much went into um uh, I did a double computing, a double major in computing actually in high school. Oh, wow. So I was really into, 
And and back then, uh, I think that was in '86 or so. So we didn't even know. Were we barely knew what a computer state was. State of the art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, and we didn't in ACT. We didn't do HSC, so we didn't uh, have to really study for the exams. We would finish our term. We would go in and do an exam. It would all be fresh. We would pass like flying colours, and then go on to the next. So there was a bit of partying, really, then, a little bit of much more socialising <laughs> because we didn't really have to apply ourselves which can I just say suited yeah but can, well, how come you didn't do HSC I didn't know that that so was there was just yeah so so what yeah. how did you get into uni just on your marks from yeah, school yeah so and, and I exactly it was called the ASAP so ASAP was our test right so what happened was we were marked on at the end of every term and we had three terms then you'll remember yes we were marked at the end of every term got a mark that turned into a score and then ASAP we all sat our ASAP and I've got to tell you ASAP is like sitting down and just doing an IQ test didn't have to study it was oh, how many wow. dots can you see here and no and um and so being quite an intelligent girl you just sailed through it <laughs> that um, was probably Sail through it, but um, I don't use my intelligence as much as my uh, street smarts. <laughs> so sailed through and uh, got a good score, got into uni, but deferred uni. Right. So what did you get into and wh- why did you defer? Yeah, it was communications, of, of course. course. And I deferred uh, because at 17, I um, took a trip to Sydney with a girlfriend of mine. I bought my first car on bank card for 600 bucks. <laughs> And uh, it was a Mazda 929, the little ones then. Right. And I drove to Sydney right. and um, my eyes were opened and I accidentally moved here. I never went home. So never what do you went mean? to a So at 17, you just yeah. went on a trip to Sydney and then called mum and dad and said, guess what, I'm not coming home. Well, yeah, my girlfriend and I uh, both said we want to stay here. And I said, I can't. My parents would kill me. She said, let's get some jobs. We were living in Manly with her uncle, went into the Manly Daily she looked up and she got this job at Norgan Vars on the oh, coast. Oh, God, very so cool. So she was scooping ice yeah. cream. Very cool. And um, in the same uh, Manly Daily, there was an ad. Actually, this is a great story. There was an ad for a front office reception at the Manly Pacific Park Royal. Okay. And... And um, you had to have you had to have two years experience, and I had just been working in with IBM computers because that was at the end of year twelve. Yeah, right. We did. Um, we went out and did um, work experience when you do career? work experience. Work experience. <laughs> I did work experience with IBM in 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 Canberra, and we were putting in uh, what was called Hotel Twenty at the time, a hotel system um, to help. Um, hotels go from paper to anyway I bowled up there I looked all 12 because I looked quite young there I was only 19 bowled in and uh and said so you know and he's like no you're too young you don't have any experience I said what computer system are you running here he's like we're just putting in our hotel 20 IBM and I'm like let me tell you about the uh, the, the, the batch controller who turned into your night management. And Keith Jeans was the, the manager. I'll never forget him. He looked me in the eye and he goes, you've got the job if you can train our front desk. Wow. And so I did. And so I worked at Manly Pacific Park Royal. I was in hospitality for a number of years. I worked at the Siebel Townhouse in front office. Okay, so HOSPO um, was your for, thing for, in the early days. HOSPO was my thing in the early days until I um, – Went to Paris for two weeks and accidentally moved uh, over oh, there. Oh, you've just got that. Home for another three I, years. I can, I, you're not obviously a woman who should be allowed to be let out unless you're prepared to move there. <laughs> Never. 
So how did that happen? So how old were you when you went to Paris? Why did you go over yep. there? Uh, that was uh, that was at about uh, twenty one, and oh, um, still young. I still still young. Uh, got a job in project management over Hang there. Hang on though, but but uh, why? To job to stay. So so. You went over on a holiday and then decided you wanted to stay. Is that the thing? And then how do you do that? Totally. How were you with languages? Paris isn't oh, easy. Oh, so it was a, yes, it was a uh, UK um, office. Okay. And they had a, a, a section over in France. So it was all in to do with Canal Plus. Um, do you remember Canal Plus over there? So it no. was all to do uh, with the <laughs> with the television um, channels over there. But they had uh, they were looking for a project manager. How so incredibly cool and I sexy. Got, <laughs> it sounds great. I know. So I got to stay there yeah. and move around a bit. Uh, so I did my backpacking with a little bit of money in my back pocket. Yeah, right. And came back all of 24 and uh, settled back down here and into advertising. So straight back to Sydney and then into an advertising job. That's it. So hospo to advertising, same, same. And and did you pick up the advertising job because they thought you were incredibly cool because you'd just come back from Paris? Oh, they they didn't really. Wow. They were looking for someone I'd never I'd never been in. Um, I was twenty four, so I was quite old going yeah. in for this interview. Yeah. Um, but I knew project management, so I knew how to run a whip. Yeah, and um, and uh, the, the guy who um, was interviewing me at the time, he was just like, "Yeah, we're doing this, we're doing that, and you've got the job." So uh, he just needed the project management. I started it as an account. Like I think it was an account assistant at 24. Which is the, the bottom of know, the rung in, really in, in an bottom agency. Bottom of the bottom. It? I was making coffee for yeah, the coffee the makers. The account executive is the bottom <laughs> of the rung, so I don't even know what an account assistant oh, is. <laughs> uh, I know. And there was account directors who were all of 23. Yeah. So I really slogged my heart out. I became a, an AD within about three years. Well done. Um, and then I had five years as an AD, but geez, I worked my ring off. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> so, um, so were you, were you work? Is this bringing us up to Leo Burnett days, or is this much earlier still? That is Leo Burnett days. Okay. We've caught that way up. Right. So then, how did you get the job at Leo Burnett's? And um, I can't remember now. I'm forgetting what you said about what that role, job ended up being because it's from there that you went to. Yeah. So keep going. Okay. Yeah, so I knew that they were looking for someone and I really wanted to get into advertising. I knew that my superpower back then was being able to articulate value. Okay. What do you mean by I've that? Been able what to... do you mean by that? Yeah, so what I meant by that is I was always able to um, say the right thing at the right time for a person <laughs> who needed it at the time, and I got that from my mum. Yeah. But I also was able to very quickly see the value in a person um, I used to sell in hospitality. We used to sell the city, right? So I could really size up what someone might want to do whilst they were in Sydney, and just look at the value of that. So it was very easy for me to summarize the value of something and sell it in, okay. aka persuade or manipulate people. Or be a good salesperson <laughs> is the other way of looking be at it. Be a really good salesperson, <laughs> yeah. But I was able to really articulate value and what someone right. um, innately needed to know, to hear, to see, to do. And I think I got that from my mum. She was very good at, uh, at that. Right. And so I knew advertising as a suit would be great. And uh, I gave it a crack. They needed the skills of project management. And um, I sold myself in. Well, wow. Aren't you brilliant? And so um, from there. <laughs> ballsy. Yeah, ballsy. From there you went to Combank. 
Is that right? Is that from the... there, Foxtel? Oh, okay, so um, what? How, what and so talk to me about Foxtel because that's pretty. Yeah, sexy so Foxtel as well. was interesting. How, how, why did you? It deci- was really sexy. So why did you decide decide to leave um, Leo Burnett's anyway? Yeah, and I, it was burnout. Right. I was looking after a number of high performing yeah. um, uh, categories, so I you know, was looking after. Um, you know, really a kind of Carn Lion um, clients and JC Penny, so the, the money spinners. Oh, right. And it, yep. I looked after about eight big um, brands. So I understood these brands, but I just wanted to work for one brand. I yeah, wanted to put sense. my all into one piece. And so I had an incredible woman, um, a really great marketing executive, Vicky Aristodopoulos. Yeah. And she had been uh, at the helm there um, in. Uh, for about, I think, eight years there at Foxtel. So she um, believed in me. I transferred my skills, cut my teeth, and um, in no time was up there running the, the brand campaigns, Amazing. which was fantastic. Yeah. We went around Australia shooting you know, anything we wanted. The budgets were big. Yeah, it was all glamorous back it then. It is gorgeous. It's, look, it's a great <laughs> industry. I'm trying to persuade my son to go in as a creative director now because oh, I just think it's just absolutely. such a fun industry when you're young. And I said exactly the same thing you're saying. And I just said, do it, it for, for a few years. You'll, you know, it'll get too much for you at some stage. But talk to me. Hang on a minute. I just also want to ask about Vicky. What was her name? Aristolides. Vicky Aristodopoulos. Aristodopoulos. Did she go into radio? She was it. Uh, she was at Fairfax. Then she was at News. Um, and then she was actually the head of marketing um, for. Um, she didn't do Macquarie Network Radio. No. No, she no. didn't. I'm just we were, mixing we, up the we name. We did deals with them. I bet you did. <laughs> And then she was uh, she headed up the whole marketing for Afterpay, which was no mean feat when Afterpay was uh, was getting off its feet. She did well, an she's, incredible she job. She has there. done an incredible job, absolutely. Okay, yep. so um, so Foxtel, you do this amazing job, and then what led yep. to the next job? Why did you leave Foxtel? So here we go. So okay. um, advertising, <laughs> you know, it was pretty loose in advertising. Yep. I don't think I even wore shoes for the eight years. <laughs> you know how it yep, was. I do. And then um, in Foxtel, it was pretty much like that as well. We could run our own race, do our own thing. We, you know, I had my own, let's just say, sense of uh, style with clothing. It definitely wasn't corporate. And um, I love that. Then Vicky went uh, over to to Combank to actually launch um, the the Comsec um, brand. And she might have poached me like a little egg six months <laughs> after she left. And um, look, she sold me into the job, um, sold the job into me as her two IC. Right. The only thing was that it was digital, launching a digital um, entity into digital. I'd never done that before. I had never worked in financial services. I wasn't built for financial services. I was a fun girl. <laughs> I know, but um, you know but what? If, the, my sh- if there is anything I know about financial services, because I've ended up having a little bit to do with them over the years, is they absolutely love people that that sit outside the square. I think they're just so, most of the people are so conformist that you, you turn up with some different clothing and, you know, a bit of an attitude and they love it. <laughs> Absolutely. My peg was so square. (laughs) The hole was so round. So no no amount of jimmying was doing. But what was interesting, the two things that were really interesting, and this is is something for everybody. What was really interesting is I looked at that opportunity and um, I thought, geez, financial services products, um, mm, 
And all I could think of was like eating wheat bix one at a time without any milk. <laughs> so dry. So how can I sell Great this? Then what I realized yeah. is that I had been selling um, non-tangible things all of my career. Yep. So entertainment's non-tangible. Self-directing investing was non-tangible. Yep. But I didn't really know my macro microeconomics. I didn't really know the product I was selling. So uh, one of my deals going in there was I promised myself that I would upskill, and I um, and uh, I kind of negotiated with Combank to do what's called my RG one four six, and that is an ASIC compliance to be pretty much a um, certified financial planner. Right. So you do it at Deakin University, and remember. I didn't even do HSC. I didn't go to uni. I didn't really understand what this study thing was. And I suddenly was at Deakin University doing my RG146 micro and macroeconomics with all of these amazingly smart people who've just done an economics degree. (laughs) So, I mean, did you love it or were you completely intimidated? I absolutely hated it. Oh, right. (laughs) It was was such a challenge for me. But... I did it. The pass mark was 85. And here's the thing. We all need to really understand what we're selling. Yep. We really yes, do. We do. That was my responsibility. I could have winged it, um, but I wouldn't have been true to myself. I didn't really understand what I was selling and I wasn't comfortable with that. And that really set my standard, I guess, for every other person that I work with. And what happened was it really reassured, reassured for me that I was always working on purpose, yep, yep. that I wasn't just winging it, just it wasn't a job for me. I really wanted to understand it, know its value, then be able to then offer that value to people who really needed it with a really good reason why. I just didn't want to sell yep, things. Yep, no. I wanted to match value with what people needed to know and give them the language that they needed that, to yeah, hear. And that's, that was really important for me. And so I went through that, um, got my RG146, I still do my uh, 20 hours CPD. Sovereign debt is my friend. Oh. <laughs> But what it did was coming out on my own, I'm very valuable for financial services, for leadership, uh, facilitating and keynoting in leadership. I do a lot of masterclasses, facilitation. I create content um, for financial services because I know what it's like to be there. I know what it's like to be in executive management there. And I know about personal brand and I know about leadership. So and so I you're know ticking about all their boxes networks. and everyone else's boxes. I, I tick think. every box they didn't even know. Uh, they had. I was just going to say <laughs> that, and I can really relate because I did a lot of sales when I was younger, advertising sales. But I also yes. know that, and and I love sales, or I used to love sales. But one of the things is to be able to put it into my own words uh-huh. because they, you know. There's a lot of people who try and do sales when they don't know the product, exactly as you were talking about, that use the language that they're given from the organisation and that there's no depth to it because they they actually don't really understand it. And that makes it very, very hard for them to get, I think, things across the line because they can't use their own words. They have to use all these kind of polysyllabic words that have come out of some, you know, legal whatever or very dry anyway, as you're saying. So to be able to talk in normal language and explain things easily is an absolute talent in that industry. Jules, you're absolutely right. And can I just um, kind of put the icing on that beautiful cake that you've just baked (laughs) for us, which is 
humanize it. If yeah. you cannot humanize information, you cannot appeal to another human being in the level that they need to hear. You cannot see their problems and state them for them if you don't understand yep. your product. Yep. yep. Beautifully it's put. It's just vital. I think that icing <laughs> is perfect. All right. Uh, so now that brings us, to, are we sort of almost up to date now or? Yes. Yes. We are up to date. I've been, uh, so, well, I've yeah, been in Brand been... True North or running Brand True North for six years. Okay. And, um, oh, pandemic. And that is... Oh, that all just made it. As soon as you said that, I thought, oh, you've got to talk to me about the pandemic <laughs> and how much fun that was for yep. you then. If you've, if you've so had it, it for was six fun. years, I... you presumably it was only a couple yes. of years old when the pandemic it came. Was. Right. It was still in nappies, toddling around. <laughs> what uh, what happened when the pandemic hit um, for me is I was um, had feet in two camps. I was able to um, be quite valuable in uh, leadership areas. So I was uh, working with leadership teams and senior leadership teams around um, how to how to lead with uh, what's called leadership brand or thought leadership brand. So I had my foot in each camp, brand and leadership, right. which of course is one in the same. Yep. Brand is leadership, leadership is brand. It's how you show up, what you stand for, what you won't walk past. It's your identity and reputation. Okay. And so when the pandemic hit, obviously people weren't worried so much about their brand. They were worried about how they were going to lead through uncertainty. And so... I was working with an incredible woman out of who's uh, based in Melbourne uh, called Rachel Service, and she has. Oh my goodness! We, I've interviewed Rachel yes. Service. We've got a podcast episode with her. I know, <laughs> and so Rachel was from. So Rachel and I had connected just okay. before the pandemic, and we were a formidable force. And I bet. so what we did was we were able to, and this was in a couple of days. We created um, these programs of leading through uncertainty and what those six modules so were. clever. And she's an incredible salesperson, as you know, and she is, um, Divine. oh, my goodness, she's next level. And she went in and sold to our clients in, in Happiness Concierge whilst we were co-building the content. And then I, for the following week of lockdown, I spent that next week, literally, it was a week and two days, I had 40 hours on Zoom. Right. <laughs> delivering to leadership teams in the A. Going, it's the all APAC right. Calm region. down. It's all going to be okay. Just, you know, take a chill pill. Were you saying that kind of yes. thing? Yes. So, <laughs> happiness, yeah. So, happiness concierge, we were working uh, and Brand True North, we were both working uh, virtual for about those three years anyway. So, we knew the world of virtual. Yeah. We were doing global facilitation. So, we were ripe for it. Oh, what happened to Brand True North? is I gave birth, not literally, figuratively, <laughs> to uh, the area of Branch in North that is thriving now, which is called Brand Your Way, where I brand humans, okay. humanely. <laughs> so that's the arm of the business. So you're helping where to I work... grow people, help people grow their profile. Correct. Okay. So what I do in that area is I work with celebrities, I work with sports stars, I work with media personalities, oh. I work with corporate superstars and I work with entrepreneurial rock stars. And what I do is use all of my tools, tactics, trips, tips and tricks. <laughs> I use all of my brand frameworks yeah. to brand them as if they were a product or service. So we productize them. Oh. And so I've, um, that that's 
probably about 80% of my that's business That's really now, interesting. I'm that's really interesting. Specializing in uh, human brands. And so that's what I'm known for. Right. And uh, we, uh, I think I'm booked out till about September this year with that work. It's intense work. It's one-on-one work. Yeah. And we create, my team and I create the brand vision. Then we create the brand identities. We create logos and obviously brand identities. Yeah. And then we create a whole playbook for them as a person uh, with their brand stories, et cetera, and a go-to-market strategy. So we connect all of the dots all of the way through. So it's great work. It's intense work. And I've had the pleasure of uh, rebranding or doing re-relevance of branding for some of Australia's top icons. Wow. Okay. I feel like that's it. No, I'm joking. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Drop the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no that <laughs> yeah. absolutely is. I'm already thinking we must get you to come and do a learning table around growing your brand. But um, I, oh, I guess, totally. I guess. Are you allowed to drop some names? Can you give us some celeb names or is that really oh, uncool? Oh, yes. I, I, I can and, and, and I'm sure and my clients are, are amazing it. and they, they will sing my profiles. praises as much. So. Yes. Um, but we've just um, rebranded Chain of Blaze and oh, so that's okay. going to come out in uh, in a couple of months. Um, so evolved her brand from just being interior design. Yep. So watch this space. Ooh. It's been an incredible body of work. Uh, and we're um, exporting her literally oh, um, across into uh, into America as well. So that's a big piece of work. Yeah. Great go to market strategy, including grants, etc. So we leverage grants for export. Right. Um, and then also rebranded the most amazing uh, our Paralympian uh, Katrina Webb OAM, yep. and so rebranded her. We're rebranding another incredible icon and OAM uh, with Lindy Milan, oh, yes. um, Australia's most trusted cook. So we're uh, creating relevance with her brand with a newer audience wow. and a movement. And do you also um, do you, do you go out and get the work for them as well, or are you just doing the branding side of it? As in, are you yeah, then the kind brand. of being an agent and selling them into things, or they do Not that really. bit themselves? Not really. I've got, a, I've got, yeah, I've got such a vast network that I do connect them in with a network. But the go-to-market strategy is where the rubber hits the road right. there. Um, and again, I do the strategy. I, I kind of don't do the implementation. Yeah, no, no, no. That makes enormous sense. <laughs> I'd rather cross stitch a teddy bear slowly into my eye these days than do a marketing plan. <laughs> But um, I love the thinking. I love the the creating and joining the dots. Um, so yes and no. Not I don't agent for them. Um, they have their own. Um, but I've done sports stars, celebrities, media personalities. Wow. Uh, and again, fifty percent of my business is global. So I work with um, uh, a lot of. Uh, actually, I'm working with two um, guys at the moment. Two gentlemen. Okay. Uh, one's an Aussie um, who's based in uh, New York, and one's uh, a an American. And what I do, and, and I'm getting known for this, is they are both um, having. They've been uh, approached by Netflix or sold into Netflix right. to have a series made of their lives, and so oh, both wow. of them have got big books. names. Uh, both of them have got stories. One has got a TED talk, and now Netflix is going to make series. However, their personal brand isn't up to isn't up to speed with the absolute um, acceleration of their story. Yeah, right. And story is everything in the US, but they're not they're not built for it yet. So I'm actually building their personal, professional thought leadership brand, what I call signature brand, in behind it before Netflix then creates the content. Because they're not ready with that yet. Oh, that sounds like so everyone. interesting, like these, these, Nicole. 
Do you know what's interesting? And here's the thing, and this is for everyone. Yeah. This is this is bar no no one. So these are incredible um, speakers and and thought leaders and. Um, icons and media people but everybody bar none has got what's this what I call this profile shame where um everyone's like oh oh don't go and look at my LinkedIn I haven't updated it for for a couple of years or oh I've got a website but really don't, don't look, look at, at it. it it's no one goes have a look at my or not many people right um have a look at my website so really the 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 sand in the chuchi as I call it is that we're all waking up in the morning and we go to work, whatever our job is, and we do this great job and we're making impact, but there's a disconnect with what we're doing yes. to the perception other people have of us mm. because we haven't communicated what we're doing. And so we're living in this disconnected world, um, and, and that's what I see in my clients. They've Their profile is a couple of versions behind the yes, great work they're sense. doing. They feel that they're disconnected with reality and perception. And, of course, no one likes talking about themselves. Yeah, no. We're desensitised to it. It's, 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 it's the same psychology that makes us impossible. It makes it impossible for us to tickle ourselves. <laughs> Fascinating. We're desensitised to our own touch. Yeah, right. Or can you imagine walking along and jumping at each, you know, touch brush of our hand to our yes, true, you know, thigh? True. So we're, we're wired to be desensitised to our own experience and that's why we cannot speak about ourselves. Right. It's absolutely almost impossible. Yeah, it may. Yeah, and so that's yeah. why everyone says to me, oh, I hate talking about myself. I hate being up there. And I normalise that saying, yes, everyone does. However, we all have to do it. So here's the way to get yeah, around nice. it. But I can tell you, working with these incredible people, they are just like you and me. And and I was working with um, uh, the incredible uh, Christina Carlson, Kiki K. Yeah. We're, we're doing some brand work. And she's so valuable and so humble. The humility is like, really, is that piece valuable to people? I'm like, Kiki, that's, Gold, oh, my God, yeah. people will give their... Yeah left kidney and firstborn for this. And she's like, really? I had no idea. I just give that away. And so it's so normal how everyone's feeling. Yeah. They're living this existence and perceptions behind, profiles behind. And there's this constant disconnect and we hate talking about ourselves. So therein lies the problem. That, that I have the solution that I solve for and I'm never going to be out of a job. No, you're never, you're <laughs> never ever going to be out of a job. And it's kind of very similar in some ways to what I'm doing with Become a Woman of Influence, the same thing. And I, and I have this thing where I said taking the yuck out of self-promotion and all I'm saying <laughs> is, you know what, take the focus off yourself and think about all the other people that you're helping by promoting yourself and letting other people have a role model that they desperately need if they're going to get to where they're going to go. And all of a sudden people go, oh, well, if I'm helping other people, then I'm happy to talk about myself. It's quite weird. <laughs> Especially us women. No, yes. not at all. Yeah. There's, your, there's your headline, Jules. And I love what you're doing with that <laughs> project. You. I've just dived in. But, you know, the headline is stop robbing the people who need That's you right. Most. That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, thief. Stop thief. <laughs> Look at you. You're going on a little creative journey now. Okay, uh, look, we haven't got too much time left, but there's a couple of other questions I want to ask you. Uh, three questions. So the first one is, have you had a moment with running your own business 
where you have felt that things have gone terribly wrong or haven't gone the way that you wanted and yet you can look back on it now and go, because of that, I changed direction and I'm so glad that I did. Have you had any of those? I want to call them pivotal moments without saying that word that we're all fed up with. Let's <laughs> not no, say but you know it's what I mean? on the pivot name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Look, there is a pivotal moment and I uh, don't speak about it often, actually. And I, I'm, 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 I'm literally getting sweaty. I know. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot. So if you don't want to talk about it, please don't. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it, yeah, it, it, and it matters okay. um, because it happens to the best it of does. us. But um, would you believe that uh, 10 years ago, um, uh, yeah, 10 years ago, I was absolutely petrified of public speaking. Oh, and really? And I would never do it. I would never speak in front of more than, I'd say, three people. I was the oh, most. Oh, really? Nicole, um, I'm really sh- yes, shocked. Yes, yes. I'm shocked. Yeah, and I'm getting sweaty. Like, if you could feel my palms, <laughs> I'm shaking now. Look, you wow. can see this. Um, so what happens with me, it's very, uh, physical. Um, I can actually black out. I can actually, I get very dizzy. My mouth gets very dry, very much like other people, but it goes to an extreme. Um, I never used to present to the leadership teams. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I was the most generous, um, uh, executive manager. (laughs) I would let my team, you know, even present to Exco. I was like, yeah. No, you look, I'll give you the learning opportunity. Um, but the truth was I was terrified and it was really holding me back in in, in executive management. Yeah. And so I realized and, and made a, um, a pact with myself that the next time I had an, um, an opportunity to speak that I would, um, that gut-wrenching, I, I actually would vomit if I um, even thought that I needed to be on a stage in front of people. It was very physical yeah, for me. Yeah, right. And um and so when I got the opportunity, I stood up um, at this lectern. I didn't realise that the then um, CEO of Commonwealth Banking, the Rev, would be there. <laughs> I had some you know, people around. I had a piece of paper because everything was written on this piece know. of paper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, and, well, I saw him walk in and this piece of paper was shaking. I bet. Like I had to put it down. So then I didn't know what I was speaking about. It was absolutely freaking terrible. I had cotton mouth so bad that no one could actually understand what I was saying. I blacked out. When I walked off the stage, the very kind people in the audience went, ah, you did your best. I said it was terrible, wasn't it? Yes. And so I realised the only way through it was exposure therapy, that I had to keep getting back on those stages. Well done. And so I took every opportunity, put myself out there. And you'll remember Women in Focus where what we did was we had these amazing sponsorships with Emma Isaacs and Business Chicks and Telstra Business Women's Awards. Right. And so fast forward quite quickly, I was asked, uh, got the opportunity to stand on stage with Business Chicks. Um, and I think there was like 800 women yes. or so. Yes, they're big. Um, and I had to say yes. And I was on that stage and I practiced and I delivered really well. I came off the stage and this woman came up to me and she said, hi, Nicole, do you remember me? I was in the audience that time about two years ago when you gave your first ever speech on stage and you were absolutely terrible, (laughs) but you rocked it up there and I'm so proud of you. And I was like, moment. And now I'm a global keynote speaker and I'm actually an accredited uh, professional speaker with the PSA. So I've made my terrifying, um, uh, I guess, life um, challenge into into this superpower. And you can't be a storyteller 
petrified of speaking. It was always going to hold me back. And, but it uh, is a, so it, there you go. Well, that's wow. a pivotal moment without saying pivotal. No, that's amazing. You know, it reminds me, I interviewed Tracy Spicer last year and in her story, yes. I've got this great video, she acted it out for us of how she fainted from nerves the yes. first time she had to read the oh. um, do the weather. <laughs> she was oh, actually on and sunrise it, and she fainted and hit the ground. <laughs> And so, it never leaves no. you. Once you're terrified, it never leaves you. I now, and, and this is the thing, and, and for everyone, I now harness that nervousness and that terror and I harness that into being excited because your body yes. doesn't know the difference right. between two. And the more excited I am, the more it matters to me and the more I know I'm on the right thing. So I now take over. I don't try and calm the nerves. I harness and channel them. And you can hear I am full of energy. Yes. And I give that energy to my audience. But I also give them, you know, breaks and silence and I know how to speak to the audience. But that goes straight to them. And the single number one feedback always that I get is, oh, my goodness, I love your energy on stage. Yeah. I love, she's just energy. And you'll hear that, but that's because I've channeled my terror. Right. And it is now my hallmark and my brand is Energize. Fantastic. Oh, well, I can totally relate to that. That's actually what <laughs> God, sometimes I feel like we might be living parallel lives, only yours has been a lot more interesting and, and salubrious than mine, I think. But I, I don't think so. I think we've been on the journey. You know what? If we weren't in the same room at the same time last week, I would I would dare say we were the same person. <laughs> well, if I could be as slim as you, I'd be very happy. But I'm getting there. Oh, you go on. Go on. All right. Now, let's, let's, let's go back to some serious stuff. One of the big things that I've realised as I've been interviewing women, and I think I've done about 250 interviews in the last two years, Whoa. is that a lot of women will push themselves if they love what they do to a point where they can have burnout. And when I talk about burnout, some of them have to take to their bed for a year. Some of them have to change their careers completely. So my question that I love to ask everyone is how are you managing the juggle? How are you making sure that you have time for yourself as well as your business and what do you do? How does your week look? Yeah, it's such a good question. I um, I am very connected in with a lot of women yeah. and um, especially when you're connected in or looking after the connection of 80,000 women in business. Um, it wasn't so much burnout, but it was uber-connected and over-connected. And so when you're always on, yeah, um, it is hard. Two years ago, I um, did something that has probably saved me from chronic burnout okay. and I ring fenced Monday and Friday. So you've got me on a Monday. Right. And, and what that means is I don't have any client contact whatsoever on a Monday and Friday. The team ring fence that, right. I ring fence it. And what that means is that from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I am on. I'm in hair and makeup every morning, which basically means I have a shower, yeah. <laughs> slap some colour on. Yeah, um, It's nothing very exotic. <laughs> but if I'm keynoting that, um, that week, I will actually go to the blow bar and um, put 30 minutes in there. I will get We're ready. We're talking and about hair on. here, I'm assuming. I, <laughs> I haven't heard of a blow bar before. Um, yeah, it's a blow bar. <laughs> it's a thing. Oh my goodness, they are. Oh, anyway, okay. it's a thing. Um, but what I will do is I know that I'm only on for those three days, and I am anyone's. I can, I'll do any. That's when I do my coaching calls. That's when I do my virtual. But um, I'm off 
for those four days. Now I'm still working on a Monday and Friday, but it's not um, meetings. But there, it's the work that I want to do yep. in my trackies um, <laughs> that I want to do it. I still do things like this, but that has saved me mentally. I'm only on for three days. I'm everyone's for three days, then I'm off for four days. That's really so. Smart. That has been yep. a rhythm. It is fantastic, um, and I can decide if I want to do a keynote on a Monday or Friday. Generally, there's no keynotes on a Monday and Friday. Yep. Sometimes I do it, double my price, they meet it, and then I go, that crashes me through another ceiling. Yeah, great. <laughs> so That's really good advice. I, 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 and it, what's Yeah, my, so, so that's the thing. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. And what's weird is last – I've just discovered Calendly – and put it up and re- and oh. said that I was available nine to five Monday to Friday and literally the last two weeks have had meetings every single half hour on the hour pretty much driving me nuts no time wow. for lunch no time for anything <clears throat> so without even knowing you I've done exactly the same thing I've just blocked out Mondays and Fridays and added an hour for lunch on normal weekdays and it's going to change my life I know that's all you need, just ring fence time. Yeah, that's great. And it's not going to be possible to do a Monday and Friday. I had to work up to that. I've got a team behind me. Yep. Um, but I fiercely protect that. I have to. And it just Smart. makes me a happier, more creative soul. No, I think that's very, very wise and just another indication of how clever you are. Okay, last question is, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? And if oh you can't think goodness. of anything, it doesn't matter. But if you can, great. Yeah. <laughs> was, and it can be well, anything. people uh, are getting to it. Yeah, it, it, it does loop in and it comes back to the Canberra connection. Um, my first job, other than uh, working in my dad's pharmacy when I was about 14, my first real job was um, a professional cheerleader for the Canberra Raiders oh, and the Canberra Cannons. It. How in heaven's yep, name did so you do that? Yeah, so I was uh, in a dance troupe and, and we were um, then approached and it was the first NRL uh, cheerleading squads then and so it was bloody freezing in Canberra, okay? <laughs> so it was actually Queanbeyan. So we're out there in these boots and these short skirts and it's minus six degrees or whatever. It snows in that country, man. <laughs> so we worked hard for we worked hard for our money um, but uh, it was really great and, again, it was this um, – professional cheerleading it was um being there on the sidelines rowing up a crowd and so I guess I've moved from professional cheerleading um to 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 professional leading and professional thought leader and now I'm a cheerleader for professional thought leaders there you go what a beautiful you've just tied up this whole interview with a lovely big bow on top really that's the full circle Thank you so much, Nick, for this. You are an incredible woman. And I can't believe that you and Rachel Service did things together. That has kind of blown my tiny mind. Because oh, I know absolutely. I met her in the lockdown. That's how I met Rachel. And I yeah, she's amazing. And you are too. So she is amazing. What a what a duo oh, the two of you would have been. Ah, Thank sure. you for every, I mean, this has just flown. I forgot we were on a podcast. <laughs> Sorry, everyone else. But um, there, there's there's something for everyone in there. And and it is the just the last piece. We have to tell our stories. These are the stories that matter. They're the human stories that happen to us, with us, for us. And the more we share them, the more we give permission and opportunity for other people to share. Yep. Because once humans can see their value and their uniqueness in their own stories, then they can live their purpose and really get out of this um, formulaic 
homogenizing, wanting to fit in. Let's break free from that. And the only way we can do that is through our storytelling and asking other people what their stories are and being really interested in taking those on as well. Oh, that's just so gorgeous. Now, Nick, if anyone wants to get hold of you, either as a keynote or as a uh, somebody to help them build their profile or just because they think you're as fabulous as I think you are, what is the best way for them to do that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you've got access all areas um, for anyone on, uh, listening to the podcast. So LinkedIn is my is my go-to. You can link uh, LinkedIn me. Um, I'm on Instagram as well, Nicole Hatherley underscore um, and also brandtruenorth.com. You will find me uh, where every good story is told. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.